Hello, all you brilliant United Ireland listeners. As you know, when you listen to United Ireland, you never really know what you're going to get, especially when it comes to our bonus podcasts. This conversation uh, that you're about to hear is a chat between myself and a friend of mine, Johnny Beauchamp, who is a Puerto Rican actor, New York, born and raised. And uh, it's interesting how this conversation has emerged and, and evolved before we even had it. So basically, I was initially going to be interviewing Johnny, um, who's currently starring in uh, a television show, Katie Keene, as Jorge Lopez and as Ginger Lopez, bit of a dual character. Um, so the conversation was going to be about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the film and television industry, because as you know, like many other industries, uh, film and TV has effectively shut down and there's an awful lot of conversations about how it can reemerge again and when things can go back into production, all that kind of stuff. So a couple of months ago, I got onto Johnny, who I've known for a long time, and I was like, you know, you're in a really interesting position, you know, being a star in this show that's really taking off. Let's chat about how uh, the pandemic is impacting your industry. But of course, 2020 is a whirlwind and events were moving quite quickly. And shortly after we were kind of initially discussing that, New York became the epicenter of the COVID-19 pandemic in the US. And so then I was thinking, okay, well, maybe we can talk about the experience of being a New Yorker in this maelstrom. And as you'll hear in the conversation, um, the pandemic has really impacted uh, Johnny personally. Um, And since then, of course, we're now experiencing a huge social and political tumult um, orientated around the reaction to not just, you know, generations and generations of racism, police brutality and racial injustice in America, but of course, in um, the new resurgent movement um, and the repeating movement of Black Lives Matter in response to the brutal killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. And again, uh, New York has become central to that uh situation um, with regards to um, more protests happening as they are happening in so many uh, American cities. So instead, I just thought, well, there's so many things going on um, in this, you know, hot New York summer. And with all of these things converging, um, what is that experience like right now to be impacted um, by the pandemic, by these protests, by the discourse surrounding both of them? And by the lockdown uh, impacting an industry that we all consume so much around film and television. So instead of not like, instead of having this very specific focus on the interview, I decided to just call Johnny up and have a conversation about all of those things. Um, He's a fascinating guy, uh, which I'm sure you'll agree after uh, you listen to this conversation. He's an extraordinarily talented, charismatic actor, and he has a lot to say um, about the city that he's in, the countries that he's in, and his experience right now. Johnny begins the conversation by detailing his unique relationship with Ireland and Dublin specifically. So this is in a New York minute with Johnny Beauchamp. Um, I had a really amazing experience actually, which I don't know if a lot of people get, especially Puerto Rican boys from the Bronx, and I I got this kind of impossible gig which was on Penny Dreadful, which um, was actually on Sky Atlantic in Ireland. And 
it was a very quick process. And before I knew it, um, I, I moved to, to Dublin and I lived there for about 10 months. And it was the most um, enriching experience of my life. Uh, I had never really been to Europe before that. And it was just such a culture shock in, in the best way possible. And so I had to really, not only did I have this great job, but like I was, I was a little lonely at first. And I took to the streets of Dublin and I ended up making some really cool friends. And, and it was the music actually of Dublin that like brought me and actually brought you and I together, but also like my friends that are still there in Dublin. It was the music. I think out of all the places I've traveled, music is more central to Dublin than any other city I've been to. And it was so beautiful because everybody would go to anything. I mean, it didn't matter who's playing the three arena. You know, if it was Thursday night, we were going. You know, it was it was cool. Wheelands. We would walk on Camden Street and we didn't know who was playing or anything, but we'd just go in for a pint. And before you know it, we'd have like, it'd be an amazing gig that would result in like an impromptu house party. Like, it was just wonderful. And that's, uh, there's such a, I guess what I want to say about Ireland, because there will always be a, a place in my heart for Ireland and Dublin, and I'm going to come back as soon as I can, is because I feel like the people there, um, I, don't, I just feel like you're all in it together, almost. I don't know. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lilt and a way, a turn of phrase in Dublin, and it's, it's always comical, and it's always inclusive. Like, I've never been anywhere, as a, you know, a Puerto Rican kind of rowdy boy from the Bronx, like I'm, I'm not always accepted with open arms everywhere I go initially, but... I never wasn't in Ireland. Everywhere mm. I went, people were so kind to me. I couldn't buy, we've gotten into arguments because no one will let me buy a drink in Ireland. <laughs> like I've got to like sneak out like Irish goodbye before I leave to pay the tab because no one will let me pay. It's so, you guys are so generous. Tell me where you are and how you are. Um, well, right now I've, I've been in New York City, my hometown since since February, like for the whole kind of, situation we've been in, in the, during this pandemic and now during these this crazy political time right now it's both amazing and also chilling because um everyone seems to be banding together in a way which that i have not seen in new york city personally and everyone mm. seems to be unifying when the majority of the people protesting especially on monday when it started have been peaceful even mm. some of the cops have knelt like there's this huge cop commissioner on monday who knelt and took the knee in solidarity with the people and it became a really positive moment but that wasn't really covered if you can kind of give us some kind of idea of what it's like for you being in New York City for the past few months, like when you're yeah. jumping from like your industry being shut down to this pandemic and now to the protests? Well, at first it was just trying to keep sane, right? Um, we were locked down. I, that's never happened in the history of New York City. Like Broadway shows have not been closed. That was so alarming. So at first, I mean, it all kind of really took off on my birthday. March 15th, which is like a Sunday, the, the city was officially locked down on the 18th, I think. Um, and it's just been, I mean, lonely is a really specific uh, feeling I felt just because I've, a lot of my friends have like left the city um, to their families or whatever, but my family's here. And so I got a lot of offers to kind of jump ship and go to Texas or go around, you know, to different places to wait this out. But my family's in New York and I felt like I really needed to stay here for my mom and my grandma who actually both contracted coronavirus, as well did my grandfather. And my grandfather was in the ICU for two weeks. Um, he was on a, a ventilator. 
um, it was very it was very difficult because I had to be a vital member to like help um, and 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 facilitate all of these services and stuff. But at the same time, I really wasn't able to be present or around, and so it was really hard to orchestrate that. I wasn't allowed to go to the hospital. I wasn't allowed to you know see my mother or my grandmother. Um, it was just so scary because here is your family who's who's a little bit older, you know. And I just don't think I'll forget that um, panic. I felt mm. I was like in panic for, for weeks. Um, and every day was bad news. Every day was bad news. And then I also felt like, what about my health? You know, like I hadn't suffered any symptoms or anything. So I'm inferring that I might have contracted coronavirus uh, earlier, like in January, February, while I was working on Katie Keene. Um, and I since, you know, have no symptoms, but... It was a waiting game, and I just thought every day, like, is this going to be the day that I hear that my mother stopped breathing or my grandfather stopped breathing? And and how uh, how is your family doing now? Can I just say it's so much better, so much better. Um, about I would say at the end of April, like the early May, everything seemed better. My grandmother uh, tested positive for uh, both antibodies and coronavirus which was confusing, which means she still has it. She's older, obviously, she's, in her, she's 80, um, but she's fighting it. And my mother has the antibodies. I just took an antibody test recently, so I should be getting those results. Um, but that was really scary. So when that, when that scary, like I couldn't really sleep for a really long time. I remember like I really started sleeping again in, in May because I felt like we were coming out of it. And that's when all the tensions started going up. And, and the police brutality isn't anything new. It's almost like very commonplace in America, but there was such a huge shift, such a huge shift. And everybody's been jumping on. Can I go back to the, the, um, your personal experience of the pandemic yeah. in New York? Because obviously over in Ireland and in Europe, we're hearing about New York being the epicenter of the pandemic at the get-go. What was yeah. the your interactions or your assessment of the health service or the capacity of hospitals in your kind of personal familial experience? Um, it was, I think at first, I think New York City has done amazing, first of all. If you look at the time frame and the numbers of the deaths and the infections and where we're at today, it's actually kind of amazing. But it took a really long time for everybody to get on board. And it took a really, especially neighborhoods that like I live in, I live in Washington Heights. People were not listening. My own family, um, they didn't really understand. My mother listened. She she was wearing the mask. She was wearing the gloves. But my grandparents didn't really understand. Especially my grandfather would constantly go out with no mask, and he got the sickest. And so it was mm. really hard to get um, my parents and grandparents' generation to understand the seriousness of this disease, of this virus, rather. Um, and that was really hard. And. It was very different down in Midtown. I mean, in, obviously in richer neighborhoods and nicer neighborhoods, like everybody was wearing a mask. Everyone was wearing gloves. Everyone was being respectful. Everyone was respecting the six feet distance. I was, I loved that when I, I finally went to a grocery store in Midtown, I think like a couple weeks ago. And I was so shocked that they were supplying masks and gloves before you entered the store, which I thought was amazing. Um, all the stores well, for people here, for, for people who aren't familiar with Washington Heights, what's the neighborhood like? Oh, okay. So Washington Heights is just above Harlem and the Upper West Side. Um, it's like next stop, the Bronx. So it's the tip of uh, Manhattan on the on the north uh, east, the northwest side. 
And so you can ride a park, actually, like Riverside Park. You can ride that all the way up to the tip of Manhattan. And then Riverdale is on the top of the Bronx. So um, it's very, it's, it's heavily Latino. It's heavily Black and Latino. Like, uh, and then, you know, we've got, like, young students now as well. And um, everything is closed, though. We've got, like, a few restaurants, neighborhood restaurants that have been open. Um, and people have been keeping it open. Like, they've been going and getting drinks. They've been getting, like, food. I think they've also been buying, like, actual meat and products to make stuff at home. Like, little pockets in the community have popped up to try to help and stay afloat. But as a whole, everything has been shut down. You're talking about like being in Washington Heights and your family members getting sick and what New York City did, which has seemed to be stabilizing now, although it was quite traumatic at the start. What we were hearing back in Ireland and in Europe was that there was a like racial element to COVID in New York that people who were like Latino, Latina or African-Americans seemed to be getting sick in greater numbers. And I was also hearing stuff from people in Manhattan of like, oh, all the like rich white people have just like left. They've gone to the Hamptons or like. Well, oh, you know. 100%. 100%. I mean, and that was like the first, I think it was in a major publication as well when this all broke down. It's like, how does the rich deal with coronavirus or pandemics? They leave because that's what you do when you have that um, available. Absolutely. Um, I don't think it's, I'm saddened by the truth that, yes, the African-American community and Latino community, people of color in general, were the most affected by the coronavirus and they have the most deaths. Absolutely. But that's not that doesn't that's not surprising to me when you talk about the immense disenfranchised neighborhoods. I mean, the, 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 the poor and the people of color outnumber the white tremendously in New York City. And that's all like information. Right. That's all news. Like are how how um, plugged in are these communities to what's going on? Not not immensely, I would say. Um, Because it took it took it took longer for them to understand. It took longer for the information to get to them in a serious way, and people were just dying. Also, you have to think about who are all the essential workers, right? Mm, Yeah, because uh, most of them are coming out of the Bronx and Washington Heights. I mean, our trains in the morning, even after the shutdown, are are slammed because all the essential workers are trying to get to work. That's why they couldn't shut down the subways. They wanted to shut down the subways because of you know. It was like an epicenter and also became really dangerous because where were the homeless people to go? I mean, the shelters, are, there's nowhere near enough space to shelter all the homeless people. There's nowhere to go. They're not really treated with the most respect. So they were, and it was, they were coming to the subway. Mm. They were staying in the subway. They were, you know, living in the subway. And that was creating chaos. Um, and people were getting very angry. And so it's like, but who do we, there's no one to blame. All we can do is, try to help each other. We don't have the answers. Everybody was quick to say, well, we need to get the homeless off the subways. Well, where, where are they going to go? Mm. You know, this isn't Giuliani's New York anymore. The homeless people don't just disappear. Do you understand? Yeah. Um, there's so many things that need to be put into place that it's just too late and we're all playing catch up. Um, yeah. One of the things um, that's been spoken about kind of philosophically, I suppose, with the pandemic is is how it is exposing certain things that were already wrong in society or already te- teetering on the edge. I mean, you're talking about kind of, di- or you know, I suppose, like inequality, really. Um, Absolutely. And how that's been exposed um, in America. It's always on the surface or under the surface, despite this kind of narrative of like, Wealth and riches, yeah. Don't you find that interesting that, like, 
I would say globally, or at least in the Western world, we understand and know that this is a real thing and a tension that has been happening in this country in America for so long, right? But no one has an end, like nothing's really been done about it. It's just been this discussion that's been happening all the time. People lose their lives, we cry and we move on. Um, now, but you're right, it's become a pressure cooker. Like one thing after another makes change. I mean, if you think it like a lot of people have been bringing up the Stonewall riots recently because they're like, well, the, pride, because it's Pride Month and pride was built on a riot, built on a riot on the bodies of people of color saying enough is enough, right? And so everyone is kind of leaning into that. But if you think about Stonewall, like Stonewall was a product of a series of events. It was the hot, 1969 was one of the hottest summers on record in New York City. The air conditioning world that we live in was not 1969, right? Not mm. only that, but the police that summer had been raiding queer bars and harassing people at a, at a rate that was actually as, like a little bit higher than normal, right? So there are all these tensions building, building, and then it all culminated with the death of Judy Garland. But that seemed to be like the last straw. Like there had been weeks and weeks of, of trial and tribulations and the heat and nowhere to go and being arrested and being attacked and just over and over. And before you know it, it popped. They just wanted to celebrate Judy, right? And then before you know it, it just erupted. And so with this thing we have, Black Lives Matter has always been in the periphery of society ever since it happened, right? People are always bringing it up. There's always like kind of mentions of that in, in social media and stuff. But with the corona, with everything that's happening now, people are being locked in their house. Everybody's being pent up. It's no, um, it doesn't surprise me that this is the time that all of, this, all of these social issues have come directly to the forefront, especially when no one is running to their jobs and taking care of all of their responsibilities, right? right? So instead of on your lunch break seeing the murder, the brutal murder of George Floyd, you're now at home with nothing to do and seeing it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's such an interesting confluence of events. And, and as you mentioned, you know, Stonewall, people just th think, you know, they, they, they de in like be when we're looking back on things, we decontextualize them. Obviously, you have a particular insight in Stonewall as you starred in the film Stonewall. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it's so interesting how you're talking about like, all of these weird conspiring events that come together. Um, you know, I was I was saying to a friend uh, last night that, you know, philosophically, um, even the fact that everybody has been contained and pent up at home, the drive to then gather en masse takes on a different kind of energy. And then, of course, you have this tipping point, another tipping, yet another tipping point of the, of the murder of George Floyd. But with regards to the protests, you know, these protests are are, are um, being brutalized by police violence in the US. There are, you know, solidarity protests in Dublin, in London, in Berlin, Which, you know, around the world. Know, I don't know if it's, I just want to interject right there, because you know, I don't know if we're going to get back to it. But something that I've actually been really uh, humbled by, is I, I mean, I have a love affair with Dublin, but to see the people of Dublin, or Ireland rather, standing up in solidarity with, with, the, um, with, with the tragedy that happened in Florida like a couple years ago, that struck me. And then recently, like seeing people marching, peacefully marching, countries that are not America, you know, countries full of, of white people, like a very small demographic of people of color, marching in solidarity with America, with my country. Um, that really blew my mind. Even um, I saw footage of, of New Zealand 
this massive parade of a peaceful protest in New Zealand. I mean, this is not, I, I would think in my small mind that our, like, our world and our, our political upheavals don't really affect New Zealand, right? Uh, but to see them standing with us or just to, that, that brought a tear to my eye. It mm. seems like the world is, is, is also experiencing this, which I think if we, I don't, I, I wouldn't assume that. I don't know. I, I just, that really, I hope I'm not chewed out for that or whatever, but I, I was really touched by that and I, and I couldn't believe it. And it meant that this was, it meant that this was hitting a nerve with not, this is not just an American issue, right? I mean, obviously, mm. but this is proof of that, is that people are waking up at all over the world and saying, no. And they are not, there's nothing to gain, like politically or financially, you know, it's, it's just because they, because it's wrong and they're standing up for what's right. And that has had like such a kind of effect on, on my person. I just, mm -hmm. I'm sorry to cut you off there. But no, I not at all. But I was wondering with regards to um, the protests as they began initially in Minneapolis and then mm -hmm. spreading uh, across uh, the country, what has, um, it been like in New York? Like, what is the atmosphere like? It depends on where you go. It depends on where you go because there's a, there's neighborhoods uh, or there's blocks in my neighborhood where it looks like nothing's going on. It mm. looks like nothing's really different. But if you just go a couple blocks away, like, I mean, now you cannot escape anybody. People are walking around holding signs everywhere. Like, I have not been privy to any physical altercations or any violence at all. Everything I've seen has been so peaceful. And it's just a bunch of people. And you know what's kind of interesting too? To have all of these people in face masks um, for the safety. But it's almost like it's not about being seen doing it. It's not about the credit. It's about the bodies. It's about the numbers of us standing together in solidarity. Um, that also I think has had Maybe that will have a, a more clear impact later that we'll see, but maybe people feel a lot more willing to participate because they don't have to put their face on. It's going so much deeper, which I did not anticipate. People calling people out and not just talking about behaviors, but talking about like the systematic ways people are just constantly tread upon. And it's been coming out. And like, at first I was like, oh my gosh, they're naming names. Which is, we're all taught, right? I mean, I don't know about our, in America, we're taught, you don't name names. You know, you don't talk about, because that, that will hurt your bag. That's going to mm. hurt you later, right? If you name names, now you're blacklisted. You can't play with us because you be, you, be, you, be, you be snitching. But people are doing it. Now it's out there. Mm. And we know, and they're like, you know, Broadway produ producers, creators, financial like, backers who produce things. They're like, we're now holding you accountable. And they're naming names. And they say, if we don't name names nothing will get done and it's true and it's taking people risk like it's not enough just to post a black square what are you risking to fight for what's right and that that blew my mind it blew my mind to hear the words yes we all know this we know it in our heart we know this this is not anything new and now i'm like wow this is a world i don't recognize Mm. It's interesting that you're talking about the other stuff orbiting the stuff that we're seeing on the streets, because I think that it does seem to have echoes of um, even something like the Me Too movement with people just kind of calling yes. out various creeps. Yes, absolutely. And that was also alarming, too. We never thought that was going to happen. We all knew 
about Weinstein. I'm not even a female actress. I'm not, I, I wouldn't even say that I was in the 1% at the table of like Hollywood, right? Like I'm privy enough that I will get the Lady Gaga demos before they go out to the public, but I'm not at the VIP tables. And I knew about Harvey. So like, it was such a thing that we all knew and just allowed. And then it, it you know, I think it may have started there. Mm. I think the Me Too movement really, and it, my heart goes out to everyone who spoke out before. It's just so interesting how things have been kicking off. And it's, I would say they started kicking off like a couple years ago, little by little, and now we're here. And it's wild. You're making those interesting connections between um, truth-telling, really, like the truth-telling mm. and, the, and the, you know, fuck it, like, I'll just <laughs> risk it then attitude of... of both Me Too and the conversations happening around racism, um, be that completely overt, like brutality or, um, you know, the, t- the type of systemic, uh, it's not subtle because it's still racist, but, but the things about like opportunities being denied or people being silenced or censored in the workplace and all that kind of stuff. But I'm just wondering, like when you're talking as well about this confluence of events, like, um, people are at home. There's, you know, political turmoil. It, we're in a global pandemic. I can't yeah. say I'm saying all these things, but this is what's <laughs> happening. Racial injustice and racism is so embedded in America. It is the the history of the country. It has yes. emerged and, and and attempted to be treated through people of color fighting for their rights. You know, generation after generation. Um, how like it, this feels different from afar like when I'm watching CNN at night and you know they're kind of counting down to the curfews which is (laughs) so bizarre but it does feel different do you agree and why do you think that is what I will say is I think um yes I agree with you it does feel different because um we've had good presidents and we've had some not so good presidents. We've had like presidents that have championed things for us and we've had presidents that, you know, we kind of, well, now we're begging for them to come back, but at the time we weren't too happy. Um, For the first time in my life, um, there is a blatant, um, there is a, there is a, what's the appropriate word? There is, there is, it seems like there's an enemy. There's, there's a vicious enemy in the White House. And this person is being applauded for, for the hate speak that they use, for all of the um, incorrect information that they spread daily, hourly, really. Um, and it was a really um, scary moment because we, although there were so far for us to go, we did not realize how many people were stuck in the past. Um, and when when our, this president has come to power, um, all of these people, all of these voices, and, and there's some ideas that maybe there's not that many, you know, MJ, um, M-A-G-A, MAGA, like people, that it's just a small, con- like controlled group and they're just very, very loud. Uh, I, we don't know, but that was the most chilling thing was that, oh my gosh, and then what's the answer? Is the answer that this has been hiding all along and people were just waiting to be outwardly racist again? Um, is it, or is it just people, a new found appreciation for racism and like, yeah, like we, what about white power? You know, like, is that, I don't know, but I will say have like, we can no longer, it's, it's out there now. It's no longer veiled. There's no veiled, there are literal threats. I mean, 
Donald Trump in the White House is a literal threat to the lives of, if not at all African-Americans in the country, like people of color, anyone who doesn't really subscribe to his ideals or his... Uh, I, I'm so sorry. I just get so distressed talking about this. Um, no, it's okay. So, so that's... Um, that's why I think it's so different. And I think that's why people are just risking everything now because the veil is lifted. Yeah, we're all wearing face masks, but the veil is lifted and we have, we have evil. We have like a vicious, uh, evil person honing our country, which is, you know, we are all schooled and, 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 and raised to believe this is the land of the free and the home of the brave and like, you know, that, that stuff is really drilled into us as a child in America. Uh, an immense pride for America. I remember growing up, and maybe this is just on the East Coast, but growing up, every elementary school I went to, every middle school, we, we had to do the Pledge of Allegiance. Like, there was an immense, like, an Americana and a pride that is instilled in us. How lucky we are to be Americans. How lucky we are to be in this, where we can be anything. The land of the free, the home of the brave. And now, <laughs> now... Um, we can't, we can't really, there, there, you can't deny it anymore. You can't deny the injustice anymore. I mean, you can't dance around it. We can't tap dance. We can't do anything. I mean, it's facing us every day. And on the hour, we were receiving texts and tweets from the president of our country basically lying over and over and over again, just lying about facts, lying about, his, about what he's doing, lying about how he feels about things, lying about what he said lying about the actual, like saying that there are terrorist acts when there was no, it was a peaceful protest. He's calling all the protesters looters, scum. He's saying that they need to be stopped. He wants to bring in the National Guard to New York City to end it. He, his famous tweet, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Like that was his answer. And it's, he's trying to put everybody, so many of the protests are peaceful, Una. There are people in the protest begging people to stop breaking windows to stop doing this because that's not what we're doing. That's, that's gonna, I mean, and we're no, I'm no one to tell anybody how to mourn protesters. There is rage and people need to express it. I agree. Um, I just hope that the message doesn't get lost. Mm. Um, I hope that we can unify more. We can focus the energy because it's crazy how many people are being arrested, thousands, right? Being arrested, hundreds of people are being injured or hurt or dying because they won't arrest for. All the people are asking for, really, they just want, they want justice, right? And that's why things are going nuts right now. What do you think is going to happen over the next couple of weeks if you have to kind of gauge the atmosphere <sighs> in your city? Um, well, I from Monday to today, this Wednesday, things have gotten very bad. Um, we at first it was just the outskirts of the city smaller neighborhoods brooklyn downtown manhattan getting you know ravaged and looted and now it's it's gone to midtown it's gone uptown it's all over like it's and now with that now we have the curfew right so the curfew is supposed to stop some of the looting because you know it was going to isolate people on the street so the cops could you know make sure that they weren't harming anything but that didn't stop anything people are still come because they're angry People are so angry and they're saying enough's enough. And, and no one has offered any solution. No, 
political leader, no mayor, no, no governor has offered any solution. I mean, people, we are signing the petitions. We are calling Minnesota. We're calling Minneapolis. We're calling everywhere, right, to get this. And nothing has been done yet in days. So I'm, I'm worried it's going to get worse before it gets better because we need something needs to be done. We need, this needs to be acknowledged on a national scale. And though it's acknowledged on the news, it's acknowledged on social media, it's acknowledged by like celebrities and people we care about. It, and it's been, I mean, I will say in New York City, governor, you know, the, the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, he's, he's stood with the protesters. He said, absolutely. I stand with the protesters. I do not condone the looting. He's like, that's dangerous. That needs to stop. Because you're, these are American people losing their businesses. These are people of color losing their businesses. That's not unacceptable. But we stand with the protesters. And so that was kind of amazing. Right? Mm. But at the same time, um, like, we got to get, everybody got to get on one side. Because right now there's like a standoff between the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, and the mayor, de Blasio. And there's a standoff. The governor wants to, says de Blasio is not handling the, the riots, or I hate to say riots, not handling the looting and the kind of chaos correctly. He also said that the police, NYPD was doing a horrible job of keeping the peace, you know? And the, but de Blasio's like, I don't want the National Guard here. Because once the National Guard comes into New York City, it's war. When these people with machine guns and masks and tank, you know, they come into New York City, what are you saying to the people? And so he's like, that's going to make things worse. But so there's no answer. How do we stop the looting of all of these businesses and homes and people getting injured? But how, like, I almost agree with de Blasio where it's like, well, if we bring in tanks, <laughs> what's that going to say? Shut up. You've had your fun. Now it's done. What is it going to say? I mean, this is, and all we, all, I mean, all we want is for the recognition that this has to end and the steps to be taken to ensure that you care. Before we, we um, say goodbye for now, I want to yeah. just touch on how um, this whole, the, the lockdown and, and the pandemic in general is impacting your industry. Obviously, yeah. the film and television industry globally has been shut down. Yeah. Um, what does that mean for you and what are you hearing about how or or when things may open back up? Because there's an awful lot of chatter about how sets can reorganize and la la la, but none of it really sounds very practical. Right. Um, I've heard a lot of that as well. Um, the main thing was um, everybody was expected just to like kind of jump in and create content on their own. Um, and some, like, even, like, RuPaul's Drag Race, like, they, they couldn't continue the finale or anything, so they sent all the contestants, like, all of this great equipment and lighting to, like, shoot in their homes. Like, I know that I, like, I, I'm, let me tell you, I'm trying to sell a show. You know, I'm on a gig. I, I'm, I'm lead on a, a new CW show, and we ha it's our job to sell it, to do press, right? But all of that's been canceled, so we've been expected to kind of do that on our own through the socials. There's been a lot of expectation of like us kind of taking that and like us selling our shows and selling ourselves really to like, to make people click on the streaming, right? Cause that's what we're mm. doing during the pandemic. So I, I did a lot of that, just trying to like, be like, look over here, look over here. Um, however, I believe rightfully so, like it's, it's uh, it would be in good taste to stop that right now. 
and it's kind of it's it's unfortunate because you know the before before all of this chaos really ensued we were kind of coming out of the corona new york city is still set to open on monday the 8th um the 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 spikes have all gone down like we seem to be coming out of it and that's when they were like okay we got to sell the show um so that we can get a second season so i i actually had a lot of scheduled things you know to kind of try to sell this time try to keep my job um and unfortunately i don't think it's appropriate to do that right now mm. and i think that the industry is actually going to i think this is going to have a ripple effect una and i think uh, things are going to change like politically and you know with the safety protocols like they're talking about no excess people on sets they're talking about all the crew members having their own tools no sharing of the tools they're talking about quarantining a cast on a set so that to control you know there's all this talk but nothing nothing um uh nothing solid yet um thanks so much for joining us Johnny it's been so great to talk to you i know we were like talking about multiple things and i just think it's a really great snapshot of what it's like to be in New York right now um but one more thing yeah that i need to ask you um because i know we were going back and forth on this last week uh what is your verdict on the gaga record <laughs> okay <laughs> so um that's a really nice way to end it actually i love that um i got to say you know what i'm going to if we're going to say toot or boot i'm going to toot it this is the, <laughs> uh, i'm going to toot it because I'm I'm excited uh I personally was just really excited that Lady Gaga was able to come uh back with some music that is a little bit frivolous. And although if you really get into the lyric content like if you really want to look at the lyrics and look at everything it's actually kind of deep and serious like she's really talking about some real stuff but I was just so glad to have some like dare I say I hope I can say pussy pop and lemonade like I don't know it's just kind of fun and irreverent and it's short. I really appreciated it. I liked that the beats are so hard. It I thought it was interesting that every song has like a million songwriters. Um and this is the first album that she's actually not really produced every track, I think, or not listed as a producer. Um but I didn't th- I'm I'm pleasantly surprised. I'm happy for her. I'm happy that she has a number 1 record. Um she hasn't had a number 1 hit record since Born This Way. I mean, she had Shallow, but you know, the uh people I think really were were counting her out at this point and and Miss uh, Miss Germanata, Miss Lady Gaga has come back with a really kind of a hard record. And let me tell you, the gays are are feeling it in New York. They are really feeling this record. Good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I did it's, I <laughs> It's no Fiona Apple and you know it. No, so, and you know what? She told me that I could be something, so I believed her. Um for <laughs> sure. And you know what? I want to I want to say shout out to Louise on the Irish Times because she she may have had an unpopular review of the album but i want to say that in terms of actually talking about the music and the references um she has the most astute um review that i read uh re- like she was the only uh review that actually brought up roshi murphy which i'm like how does roshi murphy always not end up in the conversation when mm. uh, that always blows my mind um I don't know if y'all know Dublin but I'm a huge Roshi Murphy fan like die hard and so uh I'm always surprised that that's not a part of the conversation but you know everyone wants to talk about Madonna everyone wants to talk about you know those kinds of uh, pillars of of the gay iconography but Lady Gaga definitely like I I don't think we can talk about Lady Gaga without Roshi Murphy 
Excellent. Great shout out there for uh, Louise Bruton. Nice one. Listen, Johnny, I love you loads and I want you to stay safe um, and take Thank care. You, and we'll, talk, we'll talk soon. And just, I want to say uh, to Ireland, um, thank you so much. Because every time I go there, I feel, I've always felt so welcome. And seeing the footage of you guys with us has been so heartwarming. And I just, I, I love you, Ireland. Thank you so much. I, I cannot tell you enough. Thanks, Johnny. Take care. Yeah. Bye-bye.